It's good, it's good to worship with you this morning. <clears throat> Our sermon title uh, is framed as a question. How do you put your pants on? Thank you for wearing pants this morning. Now, obviously, how you put your pants on, that, that's an easy question to answer. Like the comic Calvin and Hobbes, it's best done sliding down a set of stairs in your underwear and skidding into both pant legs at the same time. If you are a toddler or married, someone probably picks your pants out for you. Now, this is all very silly, uh, but this is a common phrase that's thrown around in our world today. It's often used as a reminder that regardless of position, education, financial status, beauty, eloquence, and power, the individual that you are comparing yourself to is human, and like any human, well, they humbly have to get dressed every morning, just like all of us. They're just a person. As we continue our series in the book of Galatians, asking, is Jesus enough? Paul is still in the middle of his own personal defense. I'll remind us of how Paul's argument in this letter breaks down. The first section of the letter is his defending of his apostolic ministry. I got the gospel, not from some man, not from the disciples, as we'll see, but it was revealed to me from God. So you better listen as I talk about Jesus being enough through the rest of the letter. And part of Paul sharing his biographical sketch in the defense of his ministry, of the gospel message he preached, is his sharing with us in our section this morning, sharing with us how he met with and was approved by Christians who were kind of key leaders. And not just key leaders, but they themselves were Jewish. So in our passage, we see Paul's defense. And the main idea I'd like to submit to our hearts this morning is that Jesus is enough. So you and I, we're equal. We're equal. Uh, I'd ask that you grab a copy of the scriptures and turn to Galatians chapter 2. Now there's a lot that we could say about being equal, uh, but I believe our text lays out before us two key ways in which Paul was equal with the original disciples and how we are equal with one another as faithful followers of Christ. Well, first, there is equality. Equality in what I would call influencers versus non-influencers. And I'm not talking about Instagram kids. Uh, there were influencers in Paul's day. So read with me, please, verses 1 through 6. Then after 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, to them, 
we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing. They added nothing to me. What this first section clearly articulates is that Paul's message, his message of the gospel of Christ, was accepted by the first disciples. Well, how do we know that his message was accepted by the first disciples? Look again, please, at verse 1. Look who's going with him. Barnabas taking Titus along with me. So who, who's attending this little trip? It's Paul, Barnabas, and Titus. Now, this is 14 years after verse 21. 14 years. Paul has been preaching the gospel of Christ, the message of freedom that he first preached to the Galatian churches in Acts 13. And let me remind you what Paul has been preaching for 17 years now. Here's the core of his gospel message, Acts 13. But he, Jesus, whom God raised up, did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed. They're freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. This is the good news that Paul preached. Now, let's get back to our trip. In Galatians 2. Who's attending the trip? Who's going to the meeting? Well, it's, it's Paul, formerly Saul, Barnabas, and these are good Jewish guys. They have good Jewish names. But the name Titus sounds a little funny, doesn't it? Certainly doesn't sound very Jewish, perhaps. Titus is a first name. It's a Latin name. It's a Roman name, which means Titus is a Gentile. Now, don't forget, it was the Romans who occupied the region. It was the Romans who ran the government. It was the Romans who did the dirty work and crucified Jesus for the Jews. And here comes Titus, a Roman Gentile. Now, Titus clearly believed the gospel that Paul preached. Freedom was available in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and right standing in God's eyes. Oh, because he followed the law? No, 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 no. He didn't follow the law. He was a Roman Gentile. He wasn't Jewish. But he was free and forgiven and had right standing because of the person and the work of Jesus on the cross. So Paul and Barnabas bring Titus along, not just because he's simply a partner in ministry, but because the disciples' response to Titus would be confirmation of Paul's message. That new life in Christ, and not just new life in Christ, but good standing in your Christian life. Did God have favor on you after you trusted in Jesus, according to your works or according to Jesus? And Paul's message is that Good standing was available to anyone apart from works, apart from the law of the Old Testament, specifically apart from circumcision. 
Verse 3 provides the disciples' answer to Paul's message. Look again at verse 3. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Well, that's the answer. Was Paul's message accepted? Yes, because Titus was accepted as a brother in Christ. He was truly a faithful follower of Jesus. The potential is that the disciples would play the same kind of fuzzy math we talked about a couple weeks ago. The question was this, would the disciples add or subtract from the gospel that Paul preached? Would they take away from his message? Would they add to his message? Would they require extra works to be right with God? Or was Titus's faith in Jesus enough? Was Jesus enough? Well, the disciples make it clear. He is. Now, that doesn't mean there wasn't opposition. We do read in verses 4 through 5 that as Paul preached the message and, and it was lived out in Titus, that there were still cultural outside pressure for people to add to the gospel. It's like, oh, okay, you've trusted in Jesus, but if you really want to be good in God's eyes, well, you, you better do this and this and this. And we see that in our culture today, right? Oh, that's great. You've trusted in Jesus. But if you really want God to be pleased with you, you better carry this translation in the Bible. You better wear a certain type of clothes. You better not listen to the red hot chili peppers. I mean, if you really want God's favor on your life, like we we create these different levels and standards. And that, that was what was happening. And these are the same kind of people that we saw in chapter one where people are, they're trying to preach a contrary gospel. And Paul does say in these verses, he lets the Galatian churches know that he protected their freedom, he preserved the truth of the gospel, that Jesus was enough. But we do see from verse 6 here that the Judaizers, those wanting to add to the gospel, and the influential people he's talking about, they're not the same people, they're separate. So Paul's saying, yeah, false brothers secretly came in. I dealt with them. I preserved the gospel for you. And now let's talk about these big shots, these influencers. Verse 6 builds a category that we might not have for Paul. And here's the category. That namely, at this time in his life, in the scope of human history, Paul is not an influencer. At least not the influencer that he would become. He seems to almost embrace being a no-name preacher, and he shares that the influencers added nothing. So again, what is Paul doing here in our passage? He's defending his apostolic ministry. He's telling these Galatian churches that they should listen to his message because he didn't get it from man. It was directly revealed to him from God. These influential disciples, they didn't add to it. They didn't help create it. Paul is saying, you should listen to what I say about Jesus being enough. Because the message I get, it's not manufactured. Do you know what's really fascinating about this passage? We might miss it because we're reading the historical narrative after the fact. Many of us know who Paul would become. We flip through the New Testament. We see all the letters that he would write. But this Galatians is Paul's first letter. His life hasn't played out yet. 
So here in our passage, we have an example of a relatively unknown faithful follower of Christ being equal with the disciples. The disciples. It's like the Ohio State University. Us, us Gopher fans, we're just we're like, okay, we're not equal. That, that, that's what that was. They're, he's saying these are the disciples. Peter, James, John. These men were not only of Jewish heritage, but they lived with, they lived with Jesus. They were taught by Jesus personally. They were witnesses to Jesus' literal, physical resurrection. If you wanted to know about Jesus in the early church, you went to the disciples. And here comes Paul with Barnabas, bringing along Titus. They were equal in dignity. They were equal in their message. They were equal in Jesus. So what does that mean to us today? Well, it means that faithful followers of Christ put their pants on the same way. I, I've heard it said before that the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. There's no hierarchy. We've talked in prior weeks about how celebrity culture has a way of distorting the gospel. What Paul is doing here is protecting these Galatian churches. What he's really doing, he's protecting Lakewood Church even from falling into the trap and the dangers of celebrity and esteeming others too highly. The Spirit of God is resting in and working through every faithful follower. Paul's saying, God's working through me. Yeah, I'm not part of the disciples, but I am a faithful follower. We're equal. So it doesn't matter how influential you are, if it's to the masses or just your family. Even if you're only known by your family, you are equal if you are proclaiming the true message of Christ and his word. As one of your pastors, I don't ever want to hear you put limitations on yourself where God would not. I hear this far, far too often in churches. Now, there is ample New Testament cause for us to show respect to those who've gone on before us, to submit to our elders, to have a posture of listening and learning for sure. But a young believer should never feel that they don't have the experience or the influence to share or offer an encouraging word. A Sunday school teacher or a community group leader should never feel hesitant to offer something because of their education, their background, their influence. Even in our families, husbands, wives, children, singles, elderly, educated, uneducated, you all have the Spirit of God, and as you are faithful to the Word of God and to His leading, it doesn't matter how influential you are, you are equal in Christ. So you know what that means? That we should speak into each other's lives, regardless of position and influence. And if you have a measure of influence or position, or experience, or whatever it is. We should humbly listen to other people. I was thinking about the, this week, 
just in my own life. Okay, so what does this look like for me? How foolish would it be for me not to listen to an encouraging word from my teenage daughter? How foolish would it be to not hear an encouraging word or even an exhortation from you? May God help us to really embrace this. That there is, Jesus is enough. There's equality. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. So what that means in body life is that we are freed up, not to be jerks and and to point people and put your finger on their chest, but to take opportunity, regardless of age, background, and experience, to really serve one another. That might be a good homework assignment, even as you leave the facility here. Who can I find to encourage? Who can I find to speak truth into their life? Well, we see that there's a quality with influencers and non-influencers. But the second thing I really want to press into our minds from this text is that there's a quality in my ministry versus your ministry. That's what Paul's saying here. Would you read with me, please, verses 7 through 10? So Paul's talking about those who seemed influential. They added nothing. Verse 7, <laughs> on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been trusted with the gospel to the circumcised, because for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised also worked through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, when they perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship, a partnership, to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So this first section that we went through in verses 1 through 6, really that demonstrated that Paul's message was accepted by these disciples. In these verses, we see that not just his message was accepted, but his ministry was accepted. There's two things I notice about Paul's interaction with these pillars, with James, Peter, and John. First, is there is a mutual understanding, and it says perception, they perceived, of each other's gifts and ministry. Paul didn't look down on Peter's ministry. Peter didn't look down on Paul's ministry. No. They perceived God had gifted each man. Second, They extended the right hand of fellowship. Um, They embraced one another. They didn't simply perceive one another as, yeah, you have some gifting, you have a ministry, but rather they formed a partnership. They understood that their different ministries, yeah, they look different, they're different people, and they probably have a different style, maybe even a different philosophy. Even though the ministries were different, there was a partnership. They were under the same umbrella. The same goal. And the goal was to be a faithful follower of Christ who lifted high the name of Jesus, who lived for him. Now, each of us, brothers and sisters, each of us is entrusted with the gospel. 
to a particular context in a particular ministry. Each of us. For years, I've used an illustration. I have no idea where I heard it first. Uh, But here's a picture of a wheel. Now, I don't know a lot about wheels, uh, but I do know they're designed to turn and to provide forward movement. Now, for a moment, consider the wheel as a picture of the gospel going forward. The gospel going forward in our lives, it spins forward. The hub, well, the center would not be you. You know that the Christian life is not about ourselves, but the hub would be the good news of Jesus, the person in the work of Jesus. So we see that he's the hub. He's the center. The gospel is the center. And by the gracious design and the providence of God, he's created the body of Christ. That's that's you. That's called out ones. That's Christians. That's faithful followers. He's designed it so that you and I would be a part of the gospel going forward. This hub turning. It's all about Jesus. The wheel of the gospel is going forward. And you and I are a part of that. That's where we come in. We're the spokes. Just as a spoke is connected to the hub and is part of the turning of the wheel, so too are we spokes. Yes, our lives. Our lives are spokes that are connected to the center of Christ, the cross, and we are part of the wheel that goes forward. So what does that mean? Yes, by the way, I am calling you a spoke. But but what does that mean? It means that the life that God has given you, your life, your ministry, is a bigger part of a redemptive historical reality. Your life is a part of redemption. Do you know that? Your life, like Paul's, like Peter's, is an individual spoke that's bringing about the restoration of all things in Christ. That sounds pretty lofty, doesn't it? And you're thinking, no, there's no way that's me. Well, why are you here right now? I mean, No, literally. <laughs> what, it, what is the purpose of your life? Why didn't God simply send you to heaven when you trusted in Jesus? Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power, not manufactured power, not manipulated power. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. You will be my spoke. You'll be a witness to Christ to the ends of the earth. And as we said last week, our aim as faithful followers of Christ is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But look again at verse 9. There's something really helpful here. Verse 9 says, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me. That phrase, the grace that was given to me. Paul was entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles, Peter to the Jews. The grace that was given to me was God's particular ministry that he put on their life at a specific time for a specific reason. So it is with you, Christian. So it is with us. God has you where he has you. The life you've been given in this season, you've been entrusted with the gospel. 
to the people that are in front of you. So press into them. Rather than wish your ministry was different or similar to someone else, extend the right hand of fellowship as the early church did. Celebrate and encourage other faithful followers as they are faithful to who God puts before them. Brothers and sisters, grace has been given to you. You've been entrusted with the gospel to your spouse, to your children, to your parents, to your neighbors, to your co-worker, to your siblings, to your friends. Like Paul and Peter, we've been placed. We've been appointed by God to a particular place and to a particular people. The life you've been given, the life that you have in the relationships you have, it's not some cosmic accident. It's not random chance. It's divine design. So as you change a diaper tomorrow, God's, play, God's put you here to love that little stinky kid. As you go to the workplace tomorrow, you know tomorrow's Monday, right? Unfortunately, tomorrow the real world hits them all. I have to go to work. God has placed you in the context in which he's placed you for a reason, to impact those around you. So here's what I'm saying. Your life and your ministry have eternal significance for God's glory and for your joy. Eternal significance. You, you may still be skeptical of the value of your life in ministry. Those are big words. And you're telling my normal life, going to school and changing diapers and, and in the work, that has eternal significance? Well, if you're still skeptical, think about a wheel. What happens when you start taking spokes away from the wheel? Well, maybe you can turn for a little bit, but eventually that wheel's going to stop turning. It's going to start losing the momentum of the gospel going forward. Each spoke is critical because it, it does add power and momentum to Christ being proclaimed. So when the hub moves without the spokes, well, it won't get far. So taking out the trash, being a good kid and going to school, leading a community group, serving your neighbor, maybe cutting some grass, going to work, maybe you work in the medical field. Living the life that God has given you is all just as critical, just as necessary, and just as eternally, eternally significant of any ministry because you are a faithful follower of Christ connected to the hub, to the center. You're connected to Jesus. Theologians would call that your union with Christ. So as you are in union with Christ, connected to the hub, you put him on display in your words and your deeds, and the gospel is going forward. It is. It already is in your life. In conclusion, let me address two groups here that I think, I think tend to think very little of their spoke. They think very little of their life and its impact, its impact in eternal realities and ministry. Uh, and we all have that from, from time to time where we think maybe our life isn't doing anything for Jesus. But, but two groups in particular. 
old people and young people. Now, if you're older, I'll let you determine if you're one of these old people. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, list an age. I'm not that, that silly. So it, if you're an older person, by admission, you are the most, hear this, you are the most important demographic of this church. Now, the children, yes, the children are the future. But God has put it on you to shape those children of the future. God has put it on you to model a life of being a faithful follower of Christ. So according to Titus 2, God has entrusted the older to speak into the younger, to have intentional relationships. Here's what I'm saying. Your wisdom, your gray hair, your failing, and God's faithfulness, that is a critical spoke to the body of Christ that's going to turn the gospel. So here's what I'm encouraging you to do. Pick up a baby. Teach a toddler. Engage a punk teenager. Encourage a weary parent. And leverage this season. Leverage your time to be a man or a woman of prayer. And that's a ministry in this season. Well, what about the young, young people, the kids, the juveniles? What about them? Well, kids, your spoke is just as critical. God has given you energy, capacity, excitement, and passion. And some of you, some of you, wisdom beyond your years. Don't wait for God to use you in your parents' life as an encouragement to them. That's gospel ministry. Don't wait for God to use you with your friends or with your peers at school and sports. Really, all of us. I mean, that's gospel. All of us. We should take opportunity this week to lead out in the life and the ministry that God's entrusted to you. Who's in front of you right now? Well, I think we should all follow this example. If we believe that Jesus is enough and that we as the body of Christ are equal regardless of influence regardless of position if Jesus is equal that makes our ministry equal that makes you witnessing to your co-worker or neighbor just as equal as anyone else doing anything else it's critical if you have younger siblings and you're singing Jesus loves me, or you're reading Dora the Explorer for the hundredth time, that's a, that's a gospel ministry. It's critical. So this week, have this be a category in your mind. This week, even the normal, seemingly mundane work of our hands has incredible significance. With enjoy, with joy in Christ, you're doing the dishes. Jesus is put on display. That's a ministry. With with joy, uh, you're sending your Packer friends. You know, just a little update about how good the Vikings are this year. That's a ministry. All of life in your in in your deeds and in your words, the smallest of things. It puts Christ on display because you're connected. You're connected to the hub. 
You're critical. Because it's where God has placed us, isn't it? None of us here are famous. None of us here are the disciples. Maybe you went to the Ohio State University. I won't think poorly of you if that's the case. None of us are influencers. All of us, all of us equally have an opportunity to make Christ known. I pray that we'll do that. It's where God has placed us. May we be faithful followers of Christ. So here's what I've been doing the last few weeks. I've been really sneaky about it. This really is the vision of our church. You guys sick of me talking about faithful followers? Well, just buckle up. Because as a church, our vision is that we would reproduce faithful followers of Christ. And you know what's in Galatians 1 through 2 so far? Biblical living. We're connected to the hub. Relational community. We speak into each other's lives. And intentional outreach. All of my life has intentionality. This is the vision of Lakewood Church to be faithful followers. And I, I am so confident that as we live these things out, as we live out Galatians 2, we will see dynamic, eternal, significant, lasting fruit in our lives, in the lives of the people we care about, and Lord willing, in the lives of a larger community who needs Christ. Let's pray that that would be the case. Father, we, we come to you. We come to you in Jesus' name. And Jesus said that if we ask anything in his name, that he'll do it. So with confidence, with boldness, with hope, we ask in Jesus' name that you would press this into our hearts and minds. That we wouldn't simply be hearers, but we'd be doers. That we would see our equality in Christ that we would be convinced, regardless of influence and ministry, we have a significant part to play. <laughs> Lord, we are a spoke that turns the wheel of the gospel. So would you give us great creativity, uh, great sincerity and genuineness as we live the life you've given us. Lord, thank you that our life matters. Thank you that it's not our performance ultimately that makes you known, but it's you working through us. So by your spirit, Lord, would you work through us? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.